This is the Apiango Line, and I'm Kristen Marchand. Welcome back. We're here again today at the old Barry's Bay train station, the last of its kind in all of Canada, as we told you last week. We're here again to tell you a little more about your very own global village on the World Wide Web. Today, we're introducing a new segment. It's called Beside the Fire, and it's dedicated to the great art of storytelling here in the township of Madawaska Valley. Something must be in the water around here, for if you stop by the post office or at the train station or practically anywhere in Barry's Bay, you'll often hear some of the strangest conversations. People talking about things that have happened to them or things that they have seen during their long years growing up here or stories about some of the strange characters who once lived and worked in the area. So today, we'd like to introduce Mark Werke, a high school teacher, but better known as one of our local historians. He's here with two guests who are consummate Barry's Bay storytellers, Greta Blosky and Teresa Prince, who also happen to be two retired school teachers who once taught in and around Barry's Bay, and who will pick up on where we left off last week when the Abiango Readers Theatre performed the Old School Barry's Bay, 1894 and told you the wild story about what happened to our first ever school teacher, Nellie Irving, when she came to town in 1894. Over to you, Mark. Thanks, Christian. Just so our podcast audience knows, we're here today in the old Barry's Bay Railroad Station in front of a live audience. My first guest is Greta Blosky. I didn't attend kindergarten, so I didn't have Greta for a classroom teacher. When I was in grades one to three at the old St. Joseph School, she was responsible for the library and I was an avid reader. Later at St. John Bosco, when I was in Zita Glovcheski's class, Mrs. Blosky taught her health and language arts programs, while Mrs. Glovcheski taught the other students music. I remember Mrs. Blosky making us all write a courtesy essay for some bad behavior, which I no longer recall. <laughs> Greta was born and raised, or as we say around here, bred and buttered in Barry's Bay. And she spent almost 50 years in area schools from 1942 when she started grade one until 1989 when she retired. She was educated here and she came back here to teach. So that gives her a very unique perspective on local education. Greta, tell us a little about your first day in school. Which school was it? Who was your teacher? What was life like inside that classroom and even outside in the playground? Oh, I barely remember that time. Mm -hmm. But I do remember that uh, my parents spoke Polish at home. And uh, I had a bit of a problem when I got to school. But other than that, I think I adjusted quite well. Do you remember who your first teacher was? Sister Leona Harrington, yeah. Well, very good. Were most of the teachers... She was raised in Killaloo, I think. Oh, yes, mm -hmm. yes. Were most of the teachers sisters, or religious sisters? Were, the St. Joseph School was um, staffed with all St. Joseph teachers. Okay. Mm -hmm. There were eight classrooms in the school, mm -hmm. and uh, they all had St. Joseph sisters. Can you tell us a little bit about the girls' entrance and the boys' entrance and how in Barry's Bay that was interpreted into a boys' street and a girls' street? Well, I'll tell you, I didn't pay too much attention to it. I just used, just walked down Dunn Street to the school. Yeah. Okay. And the boys didn't dare come across. What was the consequence if someone walked uh, on the wrong street? I don't 
Well, I never had that problem. <laughs> <laughs> Good. After you finished primary school, uh, tell us a little bit about where you went to high school, especially how you managed to find somewhere to go to finish grade 13. Oh, I, um, I was in St. Joseph's from grades 1 to 8, and then 9 and 10 and 11 and 12 were over at the um, old high school, which is now occupied by the beer store. Oh, yes. That property. And um, and the rink was right beside that, uh, mm-hmm. right beside the uh, high school. So we used to go over there often for Jimmy, okay. you know, for skating and whatever. But, um, yeah. So, that's so I went to grade 12, 11, 9, 10. We had, in grade 9, we had Sister Mildred. And in grade 10, we had Sister Adrian. And 11 and 12, we had Sister Rose. And then there was no one here to teach the grade 13. So I uh, made my way to Toronto to St. Joseph's on the corner of Bain Wellesley. And that's where I had my grade 13. But, and there were also over 600 girls in that school, too. And it was a boarding school, college school. And was that challenging? Was that difficult? Did you find it hard to leave home to go uh, to the big city? Not really, because my brother, uh, I think my parents had an ulterior motive for sending me there, because my brother went to Reggie and Kingston for, from grade 10, 11, 12, and 13. And he was away for four years. Rejopolis College School, so I guess they probably wanted me to have boarding school as well, you know, some training, I don't know. Now, Greta, everybody old enough to remember knows that you weren't just going to high school around here. When you were 15, you managed to learn how to drive a standard transmission, and when you were 16, you actually earned your taxi license and drove a cab in Barry's Bay back in the early 1950s. What was that like? Well, my dad had the taxi business. He was a contractor, a carpenter, and he decided to go into the taxi business. So, of course, he always had two cars, so someone had to drive the other car. So I uh, went to Cumbermere. Mr. Herring, Mr. Waddington was in charge there, and um, I received my operator's license at 15. So I was allowed to drive the taxi car, but no other car. And later on, uh, when I turned 16, on the day I turned 16, I received my chauffeur's license. So then I could drive anything, a truck or I guess a bus if I had one. (laughs) After you started teaching, did your uh, taxi driving experience ever come in handy? Oh, all the time. I drove taxi all the time. I always helped. Yeah, even when I lived at my dad's for a few number of years, we uh, we always uh, I drove. Carmen would know that. He's a neighbor there. Also, in the 1950s, you went off to Teachers College in Ottawa. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience? Oh, Joan Landon and I went to Teachers College, and there were all different programs at that time. They were just initiating these programs, and I was in the one year program but uh, yeah Joan Landon and I went there and uh, yeah we did a lot of things yeah Mm -hmm. things we wouldn't do in Barry Spade (laughs) will you share any examples with us no (laughs) (laughs) 
so when you graduated from Teachers College, uh, you began your teaching career in a little country school uh, northwest of the village. I think it was SS number eight in the Pog Lake area. Um, describe, if you can, your first day in that in that schoolhouse. Oh, well, I think I was prepared for it, and it was on the first Pog Lake Road. You know, there are two Pog Lake Roads. Mm. There's the one by Hildebrand Street, and then there's the other Pogley Road. And uh, my brother was teaching at SS Number One, Sherwood. That was on the other Pogley Road, and I was on this one. Yeah, um, it was. There was a. There were a lot of kids, so there was a very large group of pupils. I think there were thirty, thirty-eight, or forty. Yeah, and it was the schoolhouse the regular schoolhouse? It was a. Um, um, what should I say, um, a wood stove in there, and then outside the, we had the pump for water, you know, we had the pail, and we had, yeah, and mm. I think, I think I adjusted all right there. I, and you would have had all grades from one to... I had to all grades, one to eight, yes. One to eight. Mm-hmm. And how was attendance back in those days? Did uh, people show up every fairly day? Fairly good. Oh, good. Yeah. They had to walk, you know, all mm-hmm. the kids, yeah. Mm-hmm. Children had to walk. And I'm told that in 1957, uh, Father Mack hired you to come into yes. town to teach at the at St. Joseph's. Yes, because you did an article on Father Mack, and you omitted that. I part. did. I did omit that. <laughs> he came right to the house. He yes, did. And, and I remember where he sat. Oh. And uh, he asked me if I would come and take the grade four oh, okay. at St. Joseph's. And that was up on the second floor. And what was your thinking behind you know switching from the public school into to the Catholics or the separate school? Uh-huh. Well, I I think I just I think I made the transition very well. Mm. Just yeah, Good. I always usually tried to be very positive. I'm not always like that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I also know that you taught at St. John Bosco for a number of years after it opened in 1965, and, and then you returned to St. Joseph's School to establish their first kindergarten in 1967. Mm-hmm. Uh, that must have been pretty exciting. I left the grade one from St. Joseph because there were two grade ones at St. Joseph, and I was the I uh, had the one grade one, but then Sister. Um, I forget what her was over in the other great ones. So anyway, I went over to St. John Bosco, and that was in 1965. We mm. opened the school up. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I went back then in 67, back to St. Joseph's, because we established the kindergarten. And uh, what was that like, establishing the kindergarten? Were parents supportive of a new program like that? or were That no was challenges? a lot of work, I bet. setting up. It was the local school board that um, initiated that program because the county board didn't come in until 69. So anyway, it was... And Jack Galka was the chairman of the board at that time. So, you remember? It was a lot of work setting it up, yeah. Yeah. Do you remember anyone from that first kindergarten class? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yes, I do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Anyway, any... Anything in particular that sticks in your memory? Well, Michael Glavchewski was one of them. But oh, <laughs> your nephew. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very, good. Very good. Well, thanks very much, Greta, for your stories and your insight into old school days around Barry's Bay. 
beginning around the time of World War II and almost up to the end of the 20th century. We'll take a short intermission now, and we'll be right back with our next guest, Teresa Prince, in about 10 minutes. Welcome back. We're here in the old Barry's Bay Railroad Station with the host of Beside the Fire, Mark Wormke, as he's joined by his next guest, Teresa Prince. Over to you, Mark. Thanks, Kristen. Teresa Prince is well known by many of you, not only perhaps as one of your school teachers here in the township of Madawaska Valley during the second half of the 20th century, but she's also a well-known author of several books that deal with local genealogy and history. Welcome, Teresa. Thank you. Can you tell us about your first day at school? When was it? Where was it? Who was your first teacher? And what was it like inside the classroom? Going to school was a three-mile walk, one way. I remember my very first day of school. That particular morning, my whole family set out quite early. My parents and my youngest sister were taking the bus to, uh, to attend a wedding in Wilno. My oldest sister was in the wedding party. So that left the two girls and the two boys to go to school. When we got to Barry's Bay, we parted ways. The girls went up the girl street and the boys <laughs> went up the boy street. And the rest of our school days continued in that routine. Hmm. Now, I know you grew up on a farm on the uh, west of Barry's Bay on the far side of Mintha's Hill, right? That's right. And uh, what was it like, you know, coming from the country into the village to a school, to the school in the village? Was there a difference between the country kids and the village kids? Only the farm kids stayed at school for lunch. And when it rained, we took shelter in the horse stables across the road from the school. And when the horse stables were torn down, we stood under the big pine tree in the schoolyard. When they built St. Mary's School, they cut down the pine tree. So on extremely cold winter days, we went over to St. Hedwig's Church and we made the Stations of the Cross. <laughs> <laughs> now, teaching was not a profession that you came to easily. In fact, I'm told you had to struggle against the odds to become a teacher. Tell me about dropping out of high school and then working your way back to complete your high school and then attending Teachers College in Ottawa. When I got to grade 11, I was faced with a big obstacle. Back in the 60s, there was no full funding beyond grade 10. So after a month of uh, borrowing and sharing textbooks, I quit high school and I took a housekeeping job in Killaloo. I remember that first day so well. I cried the whole day. I wanted to go to school. I can still feel the tears stinging my eyes and the tears refusing to stop. But I was determined. As I dried up my tears, I was determined that I was going to save enough from my $60 a month salary and go back to school. So at the end of my year in Killaloo, um, I still wasn't, didn't have enough money to continue. And first I had to, con I had to complete high school before I could go to teacher's college. So I took a nanny job in Barry's Bay for a year. And that was followed by another nanny job, which lasted from September to December. And just before I was to leave the position, the singer sewing machine man was visiting the household and the lady of the house asked if I wanted to buy a Singer sewing machine. And I said, I'm thinking of going back to school. So the family encouraged me to go and see the principal at the high school. 
I didn't know if I could catch up after being away for two and a half years, but I was determined. Very good. And so you finished high school here, and then did you, were you in a situation like Greta where you had to go elsewhere for grade 13? I did. Uh, there was no grade 13 in Barry's Bay, so the little high school I went to was staffed by the Sisters of St. Joseph, and there was only three sisters. Sister Alberta was very kind, caring, and supportive of me. And for grade 13, she found a boarding place for my sister and I at some of her relatives in Renfrew. So I attended St. Joseph's Academy. And you went to Teachers College in Ottawa. I did. Um, When you finished there, you came back to the area. Um, Did you ever think about teaching elsewhere? Why did you come back to... Barry's Bay when you could have had the bright lights of the city. I never wanted to go to the city. I wanted to come back to my hometown. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And at Teachers College, they told us that we should be uh, filling out application forms. And I thought, well, I'll do that after Easter. So um, during the Easter weekend, the chairman of the local school board and the principal of St. John Bosco School walked into the farm Um, through the snow. They had to park on the highway. We lived off a little loop, and because my parents didn't have a vehicle, the township didn't plow our our road, and my parents didn't have a telephone. So they drove my sister and I into town. They gave us a tour of St. John Bosco School, and they drove us back to the farm, and that was our interview. And not only were we hired, we were given a a permanent contract to sign. Now, your career was centered very much in the two schools here in Barry's Bay, the two separate schools, St. Joseph's and St. John Bosco. How would you say the separate school system has changed over the years that you taught there? And uh, do you have any advice for teachers entering the profession today? And uh, if you could speak to students, uh, what would you, how would you encourage them? Okay, changed. Um, when we left Teachers College, we were, practic- we were taught to teach pro to teach programs. And then, probably in the 1990s, there was a shift, and we were teaching students. We still used programs, we followed guidebooks, but the shift was to uh, adapt the program and modify the program to the needs of the students. Advice for young teachers? Mm -hmm. I would say run a well-organized classroom. Guide and encourage your students to um, reach their fullest potential. I would say treat each and every one of your students as if he or she were your own child. I always told myself, someone else had these students before you. Someone is going to have them after you. Do the best you can while you have them. And remember, you're going to send them home at the end of the day. Send them home hoping that they are glad to have spent some time with you and that they will want to come back tomorrow. Sounds like very good advice. Since your retirement, uh, I know that you've dedicated yourself to investigating local history. Indeed, you've published several family histories and and you run the Barry's Bay Heritage and Genealogy Club. I have a couple of questions now more related to the history of the area. Um, I understand that your mom attended the schoolhouse at the corner of Siberia Road and Bernatsky Mountain Road uh, that was Barry's Bay's first school that was opened 125 years ago. 
um, the first teacher, I believe, was honored the other night, and I, I'm told that this lamp that's on this pedestal between us was actually uh, Nellie Irving's uh, coal oil lamp. There were a number of public schools, one-room schoolhouses in the area. Could you tell us a little bit about those, and if any survive, maybe where they were located, etc.? When I first met my husband-to-be, he took me and showed me where he went to school. And he said it was SS number 10, Hegarty. I didn't know what this SS number meant at all. And so after when I started to do research, and I realized my mother also went to an SS school, I wanted to find out more about them. So SS means school section. the municipality was divided up into school sections and the families in one particular school section would petition the township to establish a school for them. Well, the school that my husband went to was SS number 10 Hegarty and it was way back near Buck Hill between Wilno and Round Lake. Now, he could have gone to Wilno, would have been closer for him, but in order to keep that school open in SS number 10, he had to go through the bush and through the fields, through deep snow, to get to school. Uh, Again, when my mother went, she went to the school where Mrs. Irving taught. I, again, was interested in what became of these little schools. And there were maybe about five or six in the Berries Bay area. And most of them still exist as private homes. The three earliest ones burnt. SS number seven, Jones, at Bark Lake, burned when it was a hunt and fish camp. SS number six that Nellie Irvin opened. Uh, my uncle told me it was burned on purpose. <laughs> and uh, SS number six separate burned when it was a private residence. At some point, did they shut down all these rural schools to build a more modern facility near the hospital? Was that? Yeah. After the SS number six public burnt, then they used the um, Methodist Church mm-hmm. in town. And uh, just before it, before SS, the present Sherwood Public School, was built, they closed the church and they bused the children between some of the other area schools that were still open. Mm. And then eventually in 1957, Sherwood Public was opened. Okay. In all your historical research, what have you learned about our forebears who settled this area and how did their experience shape Barry's Bay's history of education specifically? What do you think that experience they had, what was the impact of that experience on education? Well, my father never went to school at all, and I was I often wondered, he never got to sit in a classroom. Hmm. He grew up in halfway, like his father and his younger, his father helped to build the school, and his younger siblings got to go to school. And I often wondered how these families felt when they couldn't send their children to school. Do you think the hard work, the you know, the pioneering spirit uh, carried through in, in education in this area? I think it did. Yeah. And I think a lot of the nuns that taught, I had nuns from grade 1 to grade 13, mm-hmm. I think a lot of them grew up on farms, and they instilled a very strong work ethic in their students, and they uh, developed a pride, for, uh, developed for us to take a pride in our, what we did. Mm-hmm. And even to this day, I still will say, if something is worth doing, it's worth doing right. 
Thank you, Teresa, for sharing your wealth of history and your personal stories with us today. Thank you. We're going to take another short intermission while we reset the stage. But when we come back, we'd like to turn our microphones on our live audience here at the station. As much as we have heard from two of Barry's Bay's better-known teachers in the area, we would love to hear from their students, or students generally, who attended area schools over the past 100 years or so. For that reason, we'll set up a microphone and we'd like to hear your stories about going to school in the area in the 40s, 50s, 60s, and on. And whether it's a student about having to do with Greta Blosky or Teresa Prince as your teacher, or one of those many infamous stories about walking down the boys' or girls' streets to St. Joseph's back in the day, please come back after the intermission and let us know all about that. If you dare, why you got your strap. And how many times? <laughs> Welcome back, and now the real fun begins. But before we get some volunteers to come up to the microphone, let me turn it over to Mark Wormke. I'm told he has a story or two to tell about his school days here in Barry's Bay. I have some vivid memories from grade one. My teacher was Sister Alice Ryan, whose religious name had been Sister Raymond. Because I didn't attend kindergarten, grade one was my first separation from my parents, and I remember crying every day for the first week of school. On a happier note, when Shrove Tuesday rolled around, sister asked the class why we called the Tuesday before Lent Pancake Day. A student who shall remain nameless, but who had been teasing me quite a bit about that time, raised his hand. Oh, sister, pick me, he said. When she called on him, he stated authoritatively, because it's the feast of St. Pancake. <laughs> the laughter of school children can be cruel, but I enjoyed it. <laughs> Does anyone else have a story that they'd like to share about St. Joseph School? Perhaps there were some hijinks on those covered in fire escapes on the sides of the building. Or maybe there was a memorable pine cone fight in the pines by the ball diamond. Uh, any stories anyone like to share? Maybe there was a strap. I think Bob Corgan looks like he needs to tell us a story. I don't think I can match the stories I've been hearing, though. But we lived uh, two buildings away from the school. That was for most of my career there. And that meant that I could get up very late in the morning because I didn't have far to go. And on top of that, we lived on the boys' streets, so that made it really simple. My sister, however, had to walk half a block towards downtown, cut across over to Dunn Street, and then walk along the girl street to the door to go in. So those were interesting things. And I remember also another story. Uh, there was another boy called Bobby. And I remember the nun saying to us, okay, we've got two Bobbies in the classroom, so that that's a problem. Would one of you be willing to be called Robert instead? So I said, being agreeable as I always am, I said, sure, you can call me Robert. And it never did happen, though. It, 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 she kept calling each one of us Bobby. I guess she thought it would be wrong to change somebody's name. We were lucky on Dunn Street because we had Mrs. Rosie Stultz there with the little store. And if we had a penny, we'd drop in. And we'd get a handful of candy. Mm -hmm. so we enjoyed that part of it. Yeah. 
And on your street, you had Siegel's store. Uh, we lived in Siegel's yeah, store. And yeah, and Thaddeus and Casimir were in my class, too. Ah. Yeah, so. I don't know. I, they were okay. They were on the boys' street. <laughs> <laughs> well, I never got the strap. Uh, but I went back to school one night to break snowmen. It was in the winter time, and uh, I got caught by the principal, uh, and uh, she pulled me into the office, and, <laughs> and she threatened to give me the strap, but I was always a little bit mouthy, so I was talking back, and so she gave me a slap across the face. <laughs> because I'd been in some trouble earlier in the day, and I hadn't been dealt with properly for that. Um, anyhow, I was afraid to go home because I could still feel it on my face and I was afraid that I would get in more trouble uh, from the handprint uh, when I got home. So I, I, I was late getting home that night. But uh, you know, I think that was grade three. I deserved it, and, and we became quite good friends later. Uh, she was very supportive of my teaching career. So, Sister Kevin. So what other students were here in Barry's Bay? Sean Conway. I bet you've got a story or two. I remember hearing something about uh, the sidewalk between the high school, that there were people that were students at the high school who were... Yeah, that, was, that was the high school, you see. This, that was... That was Postmodern. <laughs> um, well, uh, just a couple of things. Listening to Zeta and Mark. Do you want? Maybe you should come up to the mic. Can you do that? To the mic. Uh, the problem. Doesn't have mic experience. No, I don't. Um, <laughs> but the problem for students in the old days of, particularly, the big separate school complex at the end of uh, down by St. Hedwig's Church, was the dis or the distribution of local candy places because if you were a boy I got the strap at least twice for being a found in at Julian Hearn's candy bar with my first cousin Marie Conway and that of course was on the girl street <laughs> and I can't imagine Greta Boski would ever have been found over on the at Coolis's August Coolis they didn't they have their little store right yes. and so the problem was that the Boy Street and Girl Street essentially ran parallel from Main Street, op op the Opiongo line, down to essentially the Ball Diamond. And there were three or four or five little stores. Hearn's store, uh, Coolis' store, Paul, Stan Palbeski's store, Yantha's store. So gender and candy could get you what it got me on occasion, which is the strap, because the store I wanted to go to was uh, was at um, on, on Dunn Street. A couple of just other quick observations. I was it is Bob? Do you remember the day? I remember the day that Leslie Frost and Jim Maloney showed up uh, because it was the day the hospital opened, which was I was in Cedar Blosky's or in. Greta's sister's class, grade four, I think it was 1960. And uh, I just remember being told what would happen to us. We were marched at a certain point from the school out to the hospital. And uh, what we were told would happen if we, as some of us were wont to do, misbehaved in the presence of 
Mr. Maloney, who was our local member and cabinet minister, and Mr. Frost, who seemed like your grandfather, a very nice man, I remember he seemed to be. Um, and I guess the other thing I think about is when the inspector came, um, Mr. Anderson, who was the separate school inspector, and I think he'd been here for years, decades. But what I, I just always remember, and I found out later in life, that actually when the inspector came, he wasn't there to inspect the students, but rather the teachers. And what I found interesting, but not surprising as an adult, that you were really never told that. Um, but I do remember on the second floor of St. Joseph's separate school when I was about grade six, thinking, I wonder how bad it would have to would, how bad it would be before you actually ask permission to go to the bathroom during a Mr. Anderson, Inspector Anderson's visit. Um, just a final thing I would say, Zita and, and uh, Teresa were just excellent, and I uh, want to congratulate them for that. Um, one of the people that's always interested me is, uh, began his career, actually, in, uh, just a little bit west of uh, uh, here, um, and that would have been in the Murchison public school, but probably the most important English language editor of a, newspaper, a major newspaper in Canada in the 20th, 20th century, and some of you will know the name, John W. Dayful, as a 15-year-old began teaching uh, at uh, Bully's Acre uh, and has written about it and some of his recollections. I hope that uh, the, the Opiongo's Reader, Reader's Theatre will be able to discover because he uh, his, his reflections of teaching um, in very similar circumstances, uh, very similar to, and this would be, he taught for two years, 1881 and 1882, at the, what would have probably been called, what my dad would have called, uh, my father was a graduate of, I think, Teresa, number seven, Jones. He, he always referred to it affectionately as the Bark Lake University. Uh, well, the school in which Defo taught, in which he taught, would have probably been as the crow flies, what, five miles west of there. But um, it's quite an, inter quite an interesting story about what he encountered. And uh, within two years of that, he was in the parliamentary library in Ottawa interviewing people like um, the young Wilfrid Laurier, about whom he wrote some very famous materials. But I always thought it would be interesting to interview the ghost of John W. Defoe and say, what was it like going from the Barclay Public School at age 15, 16 to two or three or four years later, interviewing um, some of the really important public figures of the late 19th and 20th century. But anyway, really good project. Thanks. Anyone else have stories to share, Carmen? Just a couple of humors. I, I, the only thing I remember about grade one is that's what, what, that was my first love, was Patsy Corrigan. It's all rememberable. I lived across the road from Greta, so I didn't have far to go to school. To high school, but I was late every day. <laughs> I was lucky enough that there was grade 13 when I went to, and the class size, when I was in school, it was the last grade 13, and the class size had increased by 100%. There was four of us. <laughs> Terry Conway and uh, Marilyn, Marianne Grafczewski and Charlotte Voldau. One other thing I should, I should just say, many of the older people here might know this, but I just remember my mother talking about being a, she would be, this would be in the 1930s at some point, she was at the uh, separate high school up where, as Greta said, the beer store now stands, 
Uh, and I think she would have been in grade, I don't know, grade 11, 10 or 11. And it was just announced one day, and I just said, can you imagine this happening today? It was just announced, well, the Crown, there was a murder trial, and they needed space. They needed So they simply walked in and took a classroom, and I think it was her classroom, and they were re reassigned, I think, to the basement, and a murder trial took place in the school. Um, I don't know how long it lasted. Probably lasted a couple of weeks at, at most. But it was over then. Things returned to normal. But I just thought, my can you imagine my dad, that? My dad was on the jury. Was he? Well, we would like to thank you all for helping us out by telling those stories of your school days here. But before we go on, there's one more story to tell. As many of you know, I'm not just another retired school teacher perfect for podcasting. I, too, was once a teacher here in Barry's Bay, and I taught some of you at Madawaska Valley District High School. And I had the opportunity to teach at the high school when principals, vice principals, and most teachers lived locally. Our children attended school along with everybody else. Uh, one of my favorite stories, and we also needed... Um, we always appreciated the support given to us, the school community, by the parents in this community. One of my favorite stories um, concerning this community concerns a young uh, grade nine boy uh, when I was supply teaching. And when I took attendance, I recognized the last name as the surname of uh, a man and a, his sister that I had previously taught. So after I took attendance, I went over to his desk and I said, "Is." this person your dad? And he said, yes, it is. And I said, well, when you go home tonight, tell him Mrs. M says hello and say hi to your aunt for me as well. So he kind of looked at me and went, okay. <clears throat> Several days later, when I was supply teaching in French, the French teacher uh, left a note for me, or for the supply teacher, that said, uh, these students are not thrilled with having to take French. They're doing it because they needed to graduate. They're wonderful kids. Don't give them a horrible time. But don't expect them to be working on French. If they're doing any other work, that's perfectly acceptable. Just sort of keep the lid on. So I walked into the classroom expecting that it was going to be a group of students who were going to give me a run for my money. Most people are sitting down, already starting on some work, and I thought, oh, this is, this is wonderful. Shortly thereafter, I see the same boy that I had seen several days previously going around saying to everyone, she knows our dads. She knows our dads. She knows our dads. So that kind of community support from the, for teachers was very much appreciated. And so that now concludes our show. We hope you enjoyed it, and we look forward to having you come back and visit us here at the old Barry's Bay Railroad Station. Our show today was produced by Barry Conway and for Mark Wormke and all of the Station Keeper volunteers who make this, the Apiango Line podcast possible, I'm Kristen Marchand. Good night and good luck.